podcast where we talk about architectural practice and education. My name is Jarrett Hardy, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Jordan Bonderbrink and Aaron Mahalachek. And we hope to inspire and guide future and current architecture students, design students, and young professionals. And so today we have our third guest of the show on today. Her name is Rachel Brown. And Rachel was my first professor at CU Denver. And I learned a lot from her. So I really wanted to have her on the show and get some of her wisdom. And so just a little bit of background on her. Rachel graduated from Bucknell University with a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and Economics and went on to receive her MArt degree at the University of Colorado, Denver, a little bit later. And prior to architecture, Rachel worked in nonprofit organizations on issues of homelessness, poverty, and domestic violence. And she later worked on residential projects for some time before finding her sweet spot as a professor in 2011 at CU Denver. And so she has taught in both the undergrad and graduate programs, helping students find their talent and voice in architecture. And she is now the Director of Professional Development and Internships at CU Denver with the intention of helping students craft their portfolios and resumes, which we all need help with, and helping them get into the jobs that they want. So Rachel, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. How are you? I am well. It's so nice of you to invite me since I was your first studio instructor and it maybe it was a little it's, traumatic. I'm glad to know that you wanted me back. It's only fitting. Yes, <laughs> it's only fitting. So we're very excited for this and it's cool for Jordan and Aaron because we've been having a lot of KU professors and then Greg did go to CU Denver, but this will be a completely different perspective in terms of just CU Denver and kind of you being in this amazing environment. And so just to start on your background, we went over a little bit, but where did you grow up? Why did you choose architecture in the first place? And then what was your college education like? <laughs> wow, that's those are three big questions. So three I, big questions. I grew up in the Midwest. I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Um, okay. And I'm, I'll just totally tell you about myself. How about that? I went to I an all-girls school from third through 12th mm -hmm. grade, like saddle shoes, the works. Um, <laughs> and... From there, my graduating class was 58 students, and so I thought I was going to this really big college when I went to Bucknell, which was 3,500 <laughs> students. And <laughs> as you guys know, that's not a big school, which I realized, I don't know, like a week after I got there, that it's not a big school. Mm -hmm. um, but I ended up studying sociology and economics, and I, I loved what I studied. I regret not going to a bigger school. Um, but at the time, it seemed like the right choice for me. And then I ended up working in nonprofits for a while before, gosh, I had kids. And then I <laughs> was home maybe a little too long with my kids mm -hmm. before <laughs> I decided it was time to do something different. Um, and that's when I ended up at CU. So I lived in Denver at the time. I actually moved out to Colorado to get my graduate degree in sociology. I, this, okay. this is funny because I went to Boulder to get my master's in sociology and after about three weeks there I thought what the hell am I doing all I can do with a master's in sociology is teach and the last thing I want to do is teach college and mm -hmm. so I dropped out and I moved to Denver oh, and I worked oh. like, like I said I worked with homeless youth and homeless families and I worked with battered women and I did a lot of political advocacy and um, policy work mm -hmm. and then I went back after I had kids and here I am teaching, doing the one thing I thought I would never want to do and it's my life's passion. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Funny and how then, things work out like that. Yeah, seriously. 
So it's always a chain of events. And I'm, I'm learning that. We're all learning that right now. Yeah. So, exactly. But then, so after, after you graduated, what was kind of one of the, or I guess in between, what, what led you right into teaching and you just kind of found that sweet spot? <laughs> okay, these are the things I'm not supposed to share publicly, and you're asking me on your <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, so, what you got to say. Here I am. Okay, so do you, you know who Matt Shea is? Who is he used to be the associate chair of architecture. Um, now he's tenure track faculty. He was yeah. a an instructor of mine when I was in grad school. And okay. after I graduated and had decided I was going to do residential work, I had lunch with him, and he said, "Hey, we need someone to teach Studio One. Would you be interested?" And I said, "Hell no." <laughs> no way. I don't want to do it. I've been in school. I took four years to finish my master's because I had kids. And it's like, I'm done with this. I am ready yeah. to be out of this environment. And he he pushed a little bit. And I said, you're, you're wasting your breath. And then a few weeks later, I got an email from him. And he said, seriously, we do need someone. And you'd be doing me a favor. So I said, okay, one wow. semester. I will do this for one semester. <laughs> and honestly, the first day of class... I sat down and two students came in early and sat and talked to me. And I don't know that I have ever been as excited about anything I've done in my life. It was like the, the mm. minute I sat down and started talking to them, I thought, this is exactly what I need to be doing. So, after I, I said, it. hell no. <laughs> <laughs> that's so interesting. You went back on it. Well, that's, that's awesome. And I think it's cool to see how all these different people we're interviewing get into <laughs> teaching in the first place. And it's something that I didn't really think about going into school. I was like, I'll never be a teacher or anything like that. But with architecture, it kind of becomes a cool transition for a lot of professionals and a lot of people like you, where it gets just an, a cool, fun thing to do. And it's architecture, but you're not practicing but you're teaching younger students how to practice or how to get into practice or things like that, yeah. you know? So I remember there was a professor at KU. I can't remember what it was during one of our classes or whatnot, but he just mentioned how there's just this really unique cycle in architecture where it's so many people obviously do school and they practice and then they teach. And I think it's, it's, it's cool. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd be very interested in teaching one day, but we'll yeah. see. Me too. I would love it. <laughs> I don't know about me, but we'll see. See, maybe you'll say that now, but then yeah, maybe I'll you'll be like me in the future. future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, that's that's great. And so, I think that will lead us right into education. And so, well, actually, should we talk about COVID first and kind of your preparation for that? Oh gosh. <laughs> you, I know that seems like a big leap. We can. Yeah. Sure. Sure. What do you want to know well, about COVID? So six feet, you from, stay six feet. I guess feet. from your position, yeah, six feet apart. Don't touch anybody. Wash your hands. All the time. That's <laughs> it. So how, how are studios working at CU Denver? Because I don't have a studio this semester, so it's going to be a little different. Um, and then also from your position, how are you interacting with kids? Like you said, meetings and things of that nature. So CAP, I think, has done an exceptional job of preparing for having studios on campus. Um, I've been down the last few days helping with the COVID check-in where students have to do their attestation, that they're not symptomatic. Um, you, we get wristbands coming in. The studios are all set up in kind of a checkerboard system so that nobody is 
closer than six feet from one another, and they've invested in all kinds of technology. So we now, I wish I could remember the name of the the system that we're using, but there are digital display boards and monitors in every mm-hmm. section. Um, so oh. it's much more, um, I guess, user-friendly in terms of projecting information and sharing it with a group without having to go into small breakout rooms and whatnot. So I think the studios are really well-spaced. They've invested in technology. And just the infrastructure of the building has been transformed. So there is an upstairs well and there is a downstairs well and you can have two <laughs> students in a car and we uh, encourage you to walk down if you're able to do so and we're giving oh. out thermometers and masks and there are spray bottles and wipes everywhere um so i i would say i've been pretty cautious through all of covid i order my groceries and i don't go to restaurants and things like that and i feel mm. really comfortable being down there i think they've prepared really well yeah. I have a question. So how old is the CU Denver Architecture Building? Because I know at, at KU, at KU Ours the building is, is super is, old. It's, very it's over old. a century old. <laughs> it's so old and it's hard. It's been very difficult for them to transition that space into something that's going to work well for COVID because it's just the desks that they have are big and bulky and the, the rooms room, are each, Yeah, each studio room is so small that it's they're having a hard time um, moving things around in such a way that they can get everybody in. So it's interesting to hear that CU Denver's been successful at that. Good. Well, Jarrett, you can chime in on this with me and talk to me about the space. I'm not sure when that building was constructed. I don't know, 1980s? Um, it gotcha. was It was actually an old office building. It was a spec building that was mm-hmm. just used for businesses. And um, so I'm not even sure when we took it over because I've only been around for 15 years or so. Um, so there's a central circulation core with kind of scissored stairwells. And so we can have one up, one down and it's, you know, it's a Corbusian free plan and we, everything's pretty open. So Mm -hmm. it, it's worked pretty well. I think, um, I think the challenge for us is it's eight, the building's eight stories high and we've got three elevators and we can only accommodate two people in it, but Mm. So far, from what I've seen, it's it's really not problematic. Um, the buildings work pretty well. And then we have touchdown stations. So if you get there a half an hour before mm-hmm. your class, there are places where you could sit and work. Um, you can make appointments mm. for the computer lab. You can make appointments with the fabrication spaces. Or you, if you want 3D printing done, you're sending your files in, and they'll 3D print for you. So I, I really think they've done an exceptional job. No, and I think that layout, like you were saying, it's so open. And that was the first thing that surprised me when I visited. I'm like, holy cow, like this is huge. Like it's huge. And all the studios were, it was like three was next to two and then four was next to five. Like at KU, it's all separate rooms and you have like 16 people in one room. So you're not intermingling with the other studios at your level. So it's different in that sense. So like when I was, the past three semesters, I've been able to talk to everybody in all like four or five sections of my studio. So that's been different, but obviously now everything's spread out, but for that reason, they have room to spread out. So no, that's, that's a good question, Aaron. That's a great question. <laughs> Although my dream building would be the Knowlton School, where you get to walk on the ramp 
at Ohio State and see all the studios. So I think I think we do a really nice job, and we've done a lot of remodeling in the last five years or so. And mm. our current dean, Nan Ellen, has spent a lot of energy connecting with people and bringing in new furniture and new design. And so the studio space is, even though the building itself is a little dated, um, it's mm-hmm. working really well, and we have nice amenities, and the new furniture is phenomenal. That's awesome. That's great. Mm-hmm. They have those big Microsoft boards too, like the touchscreen boards. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's oh, they're wow. so it's super. They're huge, like, <laughs> like a giant version those. of my Surface, basically. <laughs> yes, yeah, just a huge version. I don't think KU is even going to get like TVs or whatnot in their rooms, but I know a lot of our studios are just going to be online anyway. So yeah, yeah, it's ours are mostly online. We don't really, we can't really have in person just because it's so small. Or the rooms are at least. Yeah. But yep. Well, so do you guys it? how do you think that's gonna work for you? Not being in person? Because so much of studio is about cross pollination and discussing ideas and giving each other feedback. Yeah. Um I think it'll depend on the studio. If you know a lot of people in there, I think it'll be easier to communicate with each other because you know each other. Um a less familiar studio you it might have to be the students will have to work a lot just to, you know, communicate with each other and collaborate. But um, luckily for me, Aaron isn't as lucky. His studio is fully online. I will have one day a week where I go in person, but it's only like half the class is going to be there. So I there will be some like in-person collaboration, but it's very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, yeah. it'll depend. So mine is going to be fully online, but... I think that they're still planning on having a physical studio space for us to meet in. So although the professor's not going to be comfortable coming in and teaching class there, um, I know I will probably still go into the studio space and work occasionally just to get that collaborative um, effect. But to what Jordan was saying, if you know everybody in the studio, you know, it's not that big of a deal to just reach out to people. And because of the size of the KU Architecture School, by the time you get to third year, you pretty much know everyone in your mm-hmm. year. So like, I am already friends with pretty much everybody that's going to be in my studio. So from that point of view, it's not going to be that big of a deal. But Jarrett, you can give some commentary on this as well. But one of the things that I promote when I'm teaching is so much of your education comes from each other. And we were undergrad studio three, which is really only your second six credit hour studio. And learning how to give good feedback to each other is paramount. And Mm -hmm. so I always joked, like, if you love your classmates, rip them to shreds. And and that's hyperbolic, right? But at the same time, there's some truth to it. Like, If you really care about someone as a designer, you want to give them meaningful feedback. And you want to help them move their designs forward. So you give them ideas about what else they could do or what's working or what's not working and why. So you can Mm -hmm. say... I don't think your circulation is actually achieving this idea of a crescendo or a terminus for these reasons. Have you considered doing X? And so giving that sort of feedback, um, is, if you don't learn it early, I think it can be hard to do online. Yeah. Because you that's don't know I, people, you don't feel safe. That's why I keep saying that Like, I feel like the, the time that we're all experiencing this 
couldn't have been much better if it was to happen at all. Like I would hate to be a first year student just starting right now, or I'd hate to be somebody who's about to graduate and have to experience the job market. Like we've got a couple years of a buffer here where the economy can start to recover. And we've already kind of got that footing in architecture to kind of understand how things work. So in that respects, I feel like we're kind of lucky. Um, but yeah, yeah I think, I think as for how the studios are going to really operate, it's going to be up to how each professor runs them. And when I say that, I'm talking like, are the, are our online meetings going to be just a lecture or is it going to be, um, you know, designed in such a way that we're each presenting a little bit of our work each day. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I don't know exactly how that's going to work. So Aaron, I'm going to struggle last semester. Yeah. I'm going to challenge you on that, Aaron, um, because I think, as I said, 30% or more of your learning is going to come from the student-to-student -student relationship. And so mm -hmm. if you're relying on your instructor to always set the tone, you might have an instructor who's a practitioner, and they are showing up for class, and they are there for these hours, but you guys have a lot of behind-the-scenes work you can do. And mm -hmm. that's the way the profession works in general. Like, Design is a group effort, and you rely on yeah. feedback, so you've got to build that culture. Mm -hmm. um, so absolutely, instructors have knowledge to impart, and we have a role in setting the tone and all of that. But as students, you need to take that and run with it and develop that culture of communication and feedback. Yeah, that's a great exactly. No, and that, that's a perfect transition, Rachel, into kind of your teaching philosophy. Um, and so, cause when I had you, you were very, you were similar, obviously not the same, but similar to one of my old mentors and his name is Kapila. And we had him on the show about three episodes ago and he was very blunt with me. And when I had you like literally from day one, you were so blunt with me and you didn't know me, like you didn't know anything about me, nothing. And you just, you just went at it and I loved it. And I was like, this is great. Like, this is how I learned best. And this, and other people didn't take it so well. Um, cause I would talk to other classmates that I was just getting to know. They're like, wow, Rachel's kind of harsh sometimes. And it was, <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. like, I would tell them like, no, that's not like, that's how it should be. Um, and you should take that, you should take that and run with it. Um, so how, how do you see yourself as you were teaching? How did you kind of shape what you were teaching, how you were teaching, um, along with what you were saying earlier? So, um, wow. Okay. Um, I think I'm a, I think I'm the type of instructor that people appreciate one or two studios after they've had me as an instructor. Um, you guys are all nodding your heads. No one who's listening can see that, but <laughs> I, <those> I, professors. <laughs> but you know, it doesn't always show up on your FCQs, right? But mm -hmm, then nope. you have students who come back to you a year and a half later and say, you know what? I don't even think about line weights anymore because you really drilled that into us or mm -hmm. I, you know, I now realize why diagramming is so important, even though it didn't make mm -hmm. sense back then. Um, so I, I'm not everyone's favorite teacher and that's fine. Um, but I feel like I have, a, I have a knowledge of what you need to have as a strong foundation moving forward. And I want you to have that and I will make sure you do so you're prepared for the next studio. And I I approach it from a, a place of really caring about your education and your success. Um, 
it's not from a position of power. It's from a position of wanting to give you the tools you need to be successful moving forward. Um, mm -hmm. And that would be in some of the more elemental studios or foundational studios. In an upper level studio, I think my role is to help you really put yourself out on a limb and take risks, um, which you're doing in every studio. But in the earlier ones, you have to learn what the rules are so that you know how to break them. And, and Jarrett, you've heard me say this so many times, like if you're gonna break the rules, you better break them insanely well, right? Yes. So, and you have to know what they are first. So, you know, you have to understand line weights and you have to understand convention and you have to understand spatial relationships. And if you want to do something that is in opposition to convention, then you have to understand what convention is. And that requires a lot of experience and a lot of testing and a lot of research. So it all comes, in my opinion, from a place of caring about how well my students do. Um, it, mm -hmm. But it doesn't make me the easiest teacher. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, not at all. <laughs> but I think I'm clear on my expectations, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you made it very clear. But that's the thing, like, uh, the, Greg, we talked with him, and he's he said, I like to make students uncomfortable. Just that's how it is. <laughs> and as a professor, that should be it, because we are constantly growing, and we can't just stay in one spot comfortably. Like, we are constantly having to be uncomfortable, I guess yeah. you could say. Growth isn't comfortable. No, it's not. Yeah, growth isn't comfortable. But I yeah. think it's it's hard and, with other students and yeah. And I know Gregory, he cares so much. He has the biggest, his heart is five times the size of mine. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so you make it sound like he wants to make students uncomfortable. He cares so much. No, yeah. I don't, I don't want to make students uncomfortable just for the sake of them being uncomfortable. I want to make them mm -hmm. uncomfortable so that they grow. And mm -hmm, exactly. a lot of students come in and play it safe because they can do this well and it's it feels good and they think that will get them a certain grade but you guys when you start out are seedlings and you can't expect you those students to come in with you know studio six level grad work um we measure you based on where you are and want to help you get to that next step because if you don't have a strong foundation you're not going to go anywhere so exactly yeah 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 and then Rachel, so how, what was the mix of you teaching undergrad and graduate? Was it like 50-50 or? I started out in the grad because we didn't even have an undergrad then. Um, the oh, undergraduate was up right. in Boulder. So I yeah. started out, I think I've taught one through four in the grad, um, but I started yeah. out in one and two. And I really like some of the introductory studios where you get to be like, it's pure concept. Let's talk about stereotomic design let's talk yeah. it's fabulous um and then when i moved down to the grad program i mainly taught three i i guess i coordinated two i taught three and i kept begging to be moved up to five and mm. but you jared you know i coordinated three and yep. they weren't going to move me like you've got someone who will coordinate three so we're not moving her oh, they loved and it. finally yep. they moved me up to five and then i switched jobs and i moved into this yeah. and i wasn't teaching <laughs> so, so um, and go ahead go ahead sorry no, I'm, i was gonna say so with with teaching two different levels now or like undergrad and grad how you talked about like concepts and at the beginning studio, it's all about concept and thinking about those kind of things simply. 
But then when you get into the graduate level, how did you change? Well, I guess you started graduate. So how did you change your teaching to go to the undergrad level? Or was there a change? That's a really good question. Um, so when I was teaching the graduate program, I wasn't coordinating. So I was teaching the curriculum that was assigned to me. Um, when I moved down to the undergrad, I had a little more latitude. And it certainly it changed over time. Um, Sometimes we would go really big and we're teaching software and we're teaching diagramming techniques and we're teaching model building techniques. And I realized in some of those uh, early undergraduate studios that I have to rein it in. And I would rather have a deeper dive and help you understand, like if we're gonna talk about circulation, you're not just gonna draw a line through a plan drawing and tell me that's your circulation. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about hierarchy and let's talk about path space relationships and let's talk about how you configure the path. And so I would much rather do a deeper dive in those earlier studios. Um, and I don't know, I, you know, it's kind of like asking who's your favorite kid? Do you like teaching grad or undergrad? You can't, you're not allowed to say. Um, but I, I will say the range of student I see in the undergraduate program is outstanding you know you have some students who they have the gpa to get in and they're interested in design they're probably never going to practice architecture but they're going to grow and learn and they're going to view the world in a different way when they leave um, and then yep. i've had students who they graduate from our program and they're going to the talman school of michigan and <laughs> it's incredible it's wonderful to see oh, the success true. they've had um, i've had undergraduate students compete for internships against graduate students and prevail. So wow, it's, that's crazy. it's wonderful. And I have had outstanding graduate students also. Um, I, th I don't know that the range or the, is it the mean? I should use mathematical terms. I don't, <laughs> but it, like there's a, there's a tighter middle in the graduate program. Like all the students are pretty consistent. And you don't necessarily get that in the undergrad because it just takes a certain GPA to get in at a big state school. Um, but the, I don't know, the dynamism of the undergrad is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, I love I've both. seen that too. Every chance I get to teach, I will teach because it's yeah. so much fun, whatever level. Yeah, I love it. Now, and you, you probably like your position now too, though. Because now you're on the other side of it and you're helping students hone in their like resume, portfolio skills, getting, job, getting them the jobs that they want. How do they approach those kind of things? And so in that sense, too, with that perspective, when you taught what were, I know this is another big question, but what were kind of factors or things that you kind of aimed at knowing that that would translate into the professional world or into practice? Or maybe if they don't go into practice, like you said, like how does that translate into the real world? Okay, a that's, a huge, that's a huge question. So let's start with transitioning into the practice community. Um, I, I don't think your education should completely parallel the practice community. Students will leave saying, I didn't learn enough about code. I didn't learn enough about software. And you can learn about code at work, right? You can, yeah, you can read absolutely. the UBC. Um, you can do Revit tutorials or Rhino tutorials, and that's fine. And most firms will say, we'd like someone to be familiar with the software, but we want to teach them. What you're probably not going to learn on the job, even though it's desirous, is how to be a conceptual thinker, 
um, how to communicate mm. well, how to be someone who's a problem solver. Those are the things I think ultimately it's important to teach in school. So if I can encourage students to look at design not as a compositional exercise, but a problem-solving exercise, if I can help them think conceptually, and so this is a Matt Shea analogy, just to loop mm -hmm. back around to Matt, he would say, it's like going to the gym, right? You, you don't bench press, I don't know, what do you bench press, 200 pounds? Um, yep. So because you're gonna do that on a regular basis, Maybe. you do it so that when your friend says, hey, can you help me move, you can lift his couch or her couch. Um, so you do these things in school, not because that's what you're going to be doing in the real world, but because you need to have the flexibility and the mental strength to do those things. So I think there's mm. real value in having your education push the way you perceive things and the way you address things so that you can be truly innovative when you're in the practice community. Wow, interesting. Because me, me, Jordan, and Aaron have had multiple conversations about like, oh, we we didn't learn this and it didn't translate into our firm or like the work that we're doing at the firm. Um, or and then like I would get frustrated at work and be like, well, I didn't learn that in school. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what you said just kind of clar should clarify things or help other listeners understand that you don't have to know everything in school. Or like yeah. how, how to do code or how to research those kind of things. But really, like you said, look at the world in a different way. Simple as that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the, the profession of architecture is there's so many things going on. And like, there's no way you're going to be able to learn nearly all of it in school. Uh -huh. It's just not possible. Um, you know, you'll still be learning new things 20 years into the into the job. So mm -hmm. I think that that's, that's absolutely the right way that school should be looked at. And I certainly didn't come into school with that kind of mindset at all. You know, I spent so many hours trying to learn the ins and outs of Revit and maybe not devoting as much time as I should to, you know, the actual concepts and, you know, thinking behind my designs. And, you know, the internship that I had this summer, I came in and of course, well, so I spent so much time on Revit that now I know it pretty well. Um, Okay. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know all, the, all these things about how to work with this program and whatnot. I'm going to be great at this. And I get in there and there's still just every day it's learning something new. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I have kids who are older. My kids are 18 and 21. And they've told me time and again, I don't want to go to school to learn something I can figure out online. Right? Yeah. Like you can do LinkedIn learning and get a lot of software knowledge. Um, we're not yeah. a technical school. Like we want yeah. to teach you to think critically and to be problem solvers. And to be innovative, you have to learn how to reframe a problem. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's also important to have at least the basic understanding of like those tools that are yes. used. Because um, you know, I'll be honest, it was my Revit skills in part that are, that got me the internship that I had. So, you know, it's, I guess it's a little bit of a balance there. Well, and mm -hmm. I, I think it's a way of differentiating yourself too. Hopefully most students come in saying, yes, I know Revit and I know how to set this up and that up. And, um, yeah. but if you can go in and also have really strong communication skills and give evidence of being an innovative thinker, 
then that'll differentiate you. So mm -hmm. most firms, you're right, absolutely are going to want some basic skills. They don't want to teach you how to open the program. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what does yeah. this do? Oh, I got to put a wall here. <laughs> <laughs> so no, that's that's awesome. I love it. Um, but so then the next question would be, what is in your perspective the advantage of learning and teaching in Denver, and maybe more broadly in a big big urban environment like that and how does that how should because the goal of this show is to help people understand things a little bit differently so how should how could they look at the world differently or look at the city and analyze it and help that with their skills um what do you yeah okay so jared did we go to the clifford still museum with your we did and that was incredible okay i always joke that like they should they should hire me to give tours about the building <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> I go in and I talk about all the thresholds and I talk about the datum and I talk about the material palette. Um, I like, and all the docents want to talk about the artwork, which is phenomenal, yeah. admittedly, but that's not why we're there. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there is, there is really no substitute from getting out in the world and looking at examples of the concepts you're learning in school, right? So yeah. in studio, we would talk about thresholds. And I could take a student in studio and say, look at the way the ceiling condition changes here. There's a different overhead condition. This is circulation, this is gathering, and we can see that, right? So even at the building scale, we can find that. And then you move outside and we can look at the pavement and this is brick and this is concrete. That's a surface condition and that's a soft threshold. Um, and that's all great. I think most cities have examples of that, but we also have, buildings by Allied Works and David Ajay. And to be able to go look at MCA and talk through this building and how it exists as a diagram and how you move through it and how light becomes a driver of circulation is phenomenal. I think one of the things that appeals to most people who come to Denver for school or move here are the mountains, right? We all love the mountains. And Jared, I love, yes, we do. I love them. Are you being facetious? No, I love them. I, okay. No, Jared okay. loves mountains. He, he will not <laughs> shut up about mountains. <laughs> I snowboard. I love to hike. I love all of that. But in school, I actually think that's one of the least compelling arguments students make about their designs. Oh, well, I organized it this way because there's a view of the mountains. Okay, that's kind of low-hanging yeah. fruit. Let's talk about like really looking at program or circulation and the site. and um, So... As someone who's coming to Denver, there are certainly appealing aspects of living in the Rocky Mountain region. Um, but as someone who lives in Denver, the things that are most appealing to me are some of the unique buildings that we have. Um, the way our city's organized, I, we can talk about the grid, we can talk about figure ground conditions or object and field conditions. Um, just looking at the campus versus downtown because they're adjacent to one another. We can talk about riparian edge conditions because the Cherry Creek path or the Cherry Creek runs right through by the bike path. Um, so we can just walk outside our building and there's a, an entire education right there. And Denver's so fun. Come on. <laughs> Who doesn't like that? Yes. Yes. I love it. Yeah. So I think like when, go ahead, Aaron. I was just going to say, I think that that's probably one of the things that KU lacks the most is, you know, mm -hmm. Lawrence is, it's, it's a fun little town, but it's the 
little town. It was, yeah. Well, you know, it doesn't little, take long. It's big for here in Kansas. It's but. big. I suppose it's big for Kansas. Yeah, but in the in the big picture, it's pretty pretty small. Um, and you know, there's there are some some pretty cool architecture in Kansas City, but it's you know, a good forty five minutes away. So, and and I think that that extends to just the architecture program in general. They don't tend to go out and experience the world as much as I think they can, um, mm-hmm. or as they should. With that said, the mandatory study abroad program helps with that. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah. I suppose they're rather limited with what they can do, but yeah. No, but I mean, that, that speaks to wherever, whatever school you're at, whether it be KU, CU Denver, somewhere on the East coast, you should make it a point to get out get out get away from campus go to the nearest city or look for like architectural gems even if it's it's a little chapel that's hidden like to get, go look go look for those things and learn what you can and just go do that kansas city sure it's 40 minutes but also isn't there like a museum in topeka it's like maybe that, that really colourful one with the oh, there's, it's like, somewhere nearby. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I know what yeah, you're talking so about. That's like a 20 minute drive, but it's incredible, and you would never expect that to be 20 minutes from KU. But yeah. something like yeah. that, just for anybody it, who's listening, for students, just go do that. It totally doesn't have to be something organized by the school either. Like, yeah. you should. We were. I think this episode will come out later, but we were talking with one of our other professors earlier today. And he just mentioned, like, if you don't go outside and just kind of wonder about everything that you see. Like, what are you doing in architecture? Yeah. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, there's so many just different aspects of the designed world that can influence architecture and can affect architecture in the way that we experience architecture. And we just need to constantly be observing. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things he made us do. He literally made us, like, the first month of that class go out and draw people and observe what they're doing. So. Yeah, and just kind of understand the relationships between the spaces that people were in and how they were using them. And again, you said that was the first month. The, that first month in that class, none of us were like, we were like, what are we doing? This is, <laughs> we're, this is people, we're being creeps and staring at people. <laughs> <laughs> it was like at the time, it, it felt really pointless. And mm-hmm. it was like, what am I spending all this money for to do this? <laughs> but like, looking back on it now, it's like, oh, I see how useful that was. Yeah, that's these things are second nature. I walk out and I'm noticing these things already. So, well, yeah. it teaches you to view the world in a different lens. Exactly. Yeah. I was yeah. just downloading some drawings to show to a class tomorrow, um, using the Manhattan transcripts from Shumi and some work by Perry Culper and some work by Chora, because oftentimes I ask students to think about what a space should be, and they think about space based on what they've experienced and what you need to do is let go of that right you have a Mm. bias based on your experience and if you actually sit and look at something without that sort of prejudice you see all kinds of new opportunity and so i love that your instructor had you do that because it might take a month for you Mm -hmm. to figure out how to let go of what you expect to see to Mm -hmm. actually see what's there yeah exactly yeah absolutely I think then the next question would be, and this is another big question. So get ready, Rachel. (laughs) Okay. So one of the coolest things when I got to see Denver was the mentorship program. And I can't recall his name who was doing it before you. Chris Nims. Can you remind me? Yes. Yep, Chris Nims. That's right. 
So he had worked at Gensler before and he had a lot of experience, a lot of connections, but also just doing this mentorship program and getting students like me linked up with professionals in the real world was something I was like, what, what is happening? Like, cause at KU that didn't really happen. And so me, Jordan, Aaron will have some questions uh, for sure, but how, how, so you got into that position after Chris. And so how are you reaching out to professionals and how do you see mentorship as being beneficial to students? Cause it's very beneficial. <laughs> so I'll reach out to anyone, you know, like, yep. I think we are in such a vibrant design community. People want to be connected to the university. We want to be connected to the practice community. And so Sometimes it's just a matter of being the person who makes the connection, and I'm happy to do that. Um, I, As I said, you're not going to learn everything in school that you need to learn. You're not going to learn everything from your instructor. You need to have your peers. And I think another, if we're looking at concentric circles, is you need to have folks in the practice community who are mentors to you, whether it's through a formal mentorship program or your first job or in an internship where someone can help you get the lay of the land and they can give you insights because we all know something. We, we know some things about some things. We don't know everything about everything. And, and I think Jordan, it was you who said, you know, this is a, a profession where you're learning the whole time you're in it. Um, and so why wouldn't you want as many inputs as you can have mm. and mm. so you have academic inputs you have your peer inputs and I think it's important to have professional inputs as well so that people can give you some guidance based on their experiences um, and all those things help you grow I always think to be a good designer you have to be in a receptive state you have to be mm. willing to hear what people have to say and you have to be willing to hear from different viewpoints and that's just gonna make you stronger yeah. And mm -hmm. mentorship is a huge, huge part of that. Mm -hmm. All that being said, you are going to get conflicting opinions from your peers, your faculty, and your mentors, right? Um, and that's another way for you to grow because you get to decode them and you get to figure out what, like, what resonates with me. So it's a little bit a la carte. And mm -hmm. sometimes just the process of saying you know, my instructor said I should do this, but my mentor said I should do this. And I think my mentor is more on track. Like, mm. That's that's an important lesson, mm -hmm. right? Mm. You're not always going to get opinions that coincide. That's, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> what, you didn't agree with my opinion? That's <laughs> <laughs> funny you say that, though, because I did have a mentor while I was in your studio. That was my first mentor, and he was over at uh, like Santa, the Santa Fe district. Mm -hmm. So I'd go over there, have some kombucha with him. We'd just sit down and talk about my project. And he never told me like what I should do, but how I should think about it. And that was, and sometimes I was like, I was so frustrated. You remember me? I was so yeah. frustrated at times. I was like, what is happening? And he, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to tell you like how, like what to do, but just how you think about it in a broad sense. And that frustrated me at first, but now I definitely see the benefit of it. But then speaking to mentorship, like it was so cool, just spiking down there, taking the train, going to meet a professional in his office or a coffee shop. And doing that, I have a new one too that you linked me up with, and he's been great. Um, and then, aren't you starting one between older students and younger students? 
I don't know that I'm going to do that as much as maybe the AIAS is likely to okay. do that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, even that's, then, that's that's important. Yeah, the a, a student to student sort of mentorship is really the only mentor like real mentorship program that KU has. And it's not and very it's, good. <laughs> if, yeah, if I'm being honest, like they're they're trying to make it better, and right now COVID is certainly not helping that. No, it's hard in COVID. <laughs> um, Everything's hard in COVID. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. It just seems like this. It, last, so I'll say, my third year, I was a mentor for a first year student, a first year studio, and you know, we went in, we introduced ourselves, we gave them our contact info, we were in the group chat with them, and we're like, if you ever need any help, reach out to us. You know, we went into the studio a few times here and there, and said, you know, if you guys need any help these days. Uh, just go ahead and come on. We'll be sitting in and just kind of hanging out. And I remember I went in one time, said I was going to be there for a few hours, and not a single student showed up. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's just that like a lot. welcome to my office hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's maybe not the best feeling, but uh, <laughs> um, no, I think I don't know. Maybe part of it is just that the first year is kind of where you're like oh, I don't know what this guy's doing, but like this older student wants to come and try and help, but. I, know. I think we're also kind of scary to the younger students. Yeah, but I think having a, a mentorship program with professionals, even if it, like, I suppose maybe if that's, if you start off with that and you sort of inter- like introduce the idea of mentorship through that first, maybe the idea of a student-to-student mentorship idea will work a little better. Yeah, I think sometimes people don't know what they know. Right. Like mm. You have a Studio One, Studio Two student and a Studio Four student might not realize I, I have a lot of knowledge to impart and they do. You've learned mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. by then. And I have recent grads who will reach out to me and say, I'm thinking about being an intern, but I don't know that I have that much knowledge to share. You have so much knowledge to share because yeah. a, you've been through the whole program. You're pursuing licensure. And you've gone through the whole hiring process. You developed a portfolio. You you have so much knowledge, and the students are they're thirsty for it. So yeah. I think sometimes we uh, this is not necessarily a commentary on you, Aaron, because you were volunteered to be a mentor. But I I think sometimes people don't realize that they have so much more to offer than they have kind of seen yeah. in themselves. Yeah, they they don't realize yeah. how much they've learned, and all those mm-hmm. experiences and how it adds up. Oh, yeah. one time, do you remember Aaron? That one time we were in Studio Eight, and then there was the the girl in. Um, she in wasn't pets. in the yeah, and she she needed help. And one of our friends, who was also a mentor, was like, "Hey, can you guys come give us some help?" And she was like, "It was like a you're trying to meet a deadline for building some conceptual model." She was like, do you know a better way, like quicker way to build this? And we were looking at the way she was doing it and we were brainstorming and we were like, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, We're doing it the best way. We had like three or four, like third or fourth year students all just crowded around this fourth year's (laughs) desk. And she's like struggling to meet this deadline and asking for help. And we're like, yeah, you're doing it the best way already. Sorry. (laughs) You're screwed either way. Yeah, you're like, yeah, then. We can't help you. You That's already did it the fastest It was a way. really cool project. It was. It was she, really she cool had a really project. cool model, but I was like, I can't help you here. This is the best <laughs> way, I think. I love hearing that story. And one of my 
uh, you know, I said you're not allowed to have favorite children, right? But I, I might have one or two favorite studio sections. And there was one where I really went in and stated very clearly how much learning I think happens between peers. And mm-hmm. that group, I swear to you, I would, I would come in and on a Saturday and they would be in a breakout room watching Planet Earth, helping each other with their renderings. And yep. they just camp out in there or, you know, they, they would have jam sessions where they would pin everything up on the boards or pin their boards up and give each other feedback completely outside of class, redlining everything. And I can't tell you how much more meaningful it makes your crit with an instructor when you have a classmate who's already figured out your line weights are all wrong. And look, like the mm-hmm. way you've labeled everything, it's not... It, the distance is too far and it's not organized on a grid. Like you guys, mm-hmm. you can catch all that because it's knowledge you have and then let your instructor come in and give feedback on how, well, you could take this section and flip it up into plan and show X, Y, and Z. Um, I, I think it's really important that you guys exercise your brains in giving feedback early because you benefit from it as the recipient, but you also benefit from it as the one who delivers the information because you're testing mm-hmm. your knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And you're building those communication skills yep. because I think that there's a different dynamic between talking with a professor and talking with somebody who's like directly your peer. Mm-hmm. Um, like once you get out into the field and everybody's just your coworker, you don't really have, well, I guess you'd still have like your boss, but um, you know, you don't have a professor who's grading your work. I think the, the way in which you communicate sometimes shifts a little bit. And so building that repertoire of how to talk with somebody who's just your peer and not a, a professor, I think is also super important. Yeah. So, yeah. And also I could just say that I have had studio sessions like that where we have definitely watched Planet Earth <laughs> <laughs> specifically. <laughs> Not Those now, not during COVID, times. right? But no, no, this was back in the day. Ago. Back, back when I was in school. Zoom and share your screen and you all watch Co- or, uh, Planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. what is that? Netflix with friends or something? Isn't there like a, a, a Chrome extension that you can yeah. do that? Something like that. Oh, that's kind of cool. We, we remember we watched the NFL draft one time. Yeah. On screen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think there was much work going on that night. No, there was no work happening <laughs> at that no, point. No. But hey, it's good bonding time. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Have great bonding time with your peers. That's, yes. that's the best advice. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how you, so, how you lay the groundwork for giving each other good feedback, too. Right? Yeah. So exactly. maybe you have to watch a football game or you like go out for coffee or whatever. Hit taco night, dollar taco. And yeah. then you feel that much more comfortable telling them that their plan sucks. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cool. Well, to wind this, start winding this down a little bit, just one last question or a couple questions. Okay. Um, just how do you see your um, position at the school kind of developing and where do you see it going? Um, and any other plans other than that? I think <laughs> that's it. Okay. Um, Let's see, I had some big tasks to tackle when I started in this position. We didn't really have an online job board, so we've been developing Handshake, and there's been a lot of recruitment of employers and education for students, getting them hooked into that. I have a student employee, Kai Eldridge, who works with me on that. Um, That's been huge. 
and really trying to beef up the instruction around portfolio. We have a couple classes that are tailored to that, but um, they, it's hard to get in. You know, it's a 15 student class, and we have over 800 students mm-hmm. in CAP. So that's the problem we have too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's an opportunity to do a lot more workshopping and work with students to help them develop those materials, resume, cover letter, and especially portfolio. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that I'll be working on a lot this year. And COVID has hogtied a lot of things. I would love to be really pushing internships and externships and, you know, whether it's shadowing, but not everyone's comfortable doing that right now. So I think for me to go out and talk to employers about having students shadow, um, that's going to that's not going anywhere, right? Let's face no, it. Yes, yeah, so definitely. right now, I think what I can do is a lot more instruction with students about how to be prepared when the market opens back up. Mm-hmm. And also, there is a lot of really positive dialogue happening right now around the issues that have come out of Black Lives Matter and diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion and equity. And mm-hmm. so I think there's a lot of room to have conversations with employers our school is phenomenally diverse particularly our undergrad oh yeah right like it's more than 50 percent students from underrepresented communities Mm -hmm. and i view that as one of our greatest strengths Um, that's amazing it's amazing it It is is truly amazing um at the same time a lot of our employers and and the firms that we're working with are predominantly white and so mm-hmm. I think it's important to open a dialogue, and that's something that I want to be involved in, so that employers understand, here's what it looks like for a student of color to come in, and how do I become an ally? How do I make this a welcoming environment? Um, mm. How do I give voice to an intern? Um, these are all mm-hmm. really important things. So there is a lot that can be done right now, even though we're not necessarily able to do site visits and hard hat tours and firm visits. Um, those things are, they're on the back burner for a while. Um, but I yeah. think that creates some opportunity for us to have some really meaningful discussions and start addressing, like making sure our students are prepared, but also that our employers are prepared for our students because hopefully yeah. they're coming in strong conceptual thinkers with good opinions and like wanting to generate change. They like our students are the future. Yeah, Uh, that's such a great point. Just the idea of trying to actually influence the the profession or the the employers, and just kind of preparing them and saying, "Look, you've got some great students, but they're gonna they're gonna push you." I think that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. So it it really is, especially in in Denver. It's growing so much, and like you said, with all the different mix—well, not different mix in the firms, but different mix in the school. I think I didn't think about that, but that's that's super powerful to kind of get those kids in. How do they find their voice? All the all those things are so important. Yeah, and it's so important to get when it comes to um, diversity and whatnot. You know, all these firms are like, oh, we want to we want to increase our diversity and whatnot. I'm like, you can only do that. To, you know, everybody can only do that to an extent if the talent's not there. Right. And so uh, to hear that you guys have such a huge minority um, student base is just it's so exciting i love that Mm -hmm. it's amazingly exciting and honestly in my opinion that is that's what's going to transform our society i don't care if we're talking about politics or design or 
like the way people just operate socially, like we need to start creating an environment that allows for people to be heard and express express their experiences because we all grow from it. We're we're operating yeah. in a society that is based on privilege. It, yeah. Like it, the framework is one of privilege, and it's time to rupture that. Yeah. Yeah. Did I just get too radical for this to podcast? <laughs> no, I, no, it's great. We love it's it. It's all good. It's all great. Yeah. So I'm hoping you'll invite me back to talk about portfolio. I know you had one oh, one episode already about portfolio. Um, yes. But I listened to it and it was great as like a volume one. And I think we yeah. can do a volume two and get into a lot oh, yeah. more oh, of the nitty gritty. Yeah. yeah, we've got a few people that we're planning on having for different episodes. There's a lot more to talk about portfolios. Yeah. Good. Yes, so. Rachel, you'll be perfect for that. Because <laughs> I do have opinions, let's face it. Oh, yes, you do. You're like, can we get well, off the phone like. with her? We've got to end this. One of the episodes that we recorded, it was the two-part episode. We talked for over two hours with him. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. It was, okay. yeah, so it's, it's all good. Yeah, this has been a phenomenal wow. conversation. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, thank you, Rachel. But... Last last question. Okay. Very last question. Your advice summed up shortly for architecture students and design students. The best advice that you can give briefly. I don't know. Jared, you can challenge me if this is out of line with anything I ever said in the studio. Um, Sounds good. But I, I, I think the best advice I can give is for you all to be passionate about what you're doing in school and immerse yourselves in it. I have way too many students who care about the grade. And Mm -hmm. if you lose yourself in your work and really pursue something that is enticing to you, that has meaning to you, the grade is gonna follow, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But you're in school to get an education. You're not in school to get a degree, Mm -hmm. right? So take advantage of that. Do work that's provocative and polemic and take a stand. Um, do something that's going to surprise people and be innovative. Don't base your design decisions based on something you already know. Look for something new that's insightful, that's going to drive something that's innovative. Um, and don't worry about the grade. Amen. Yeah. I love that's it. great. Cool. Well, Rachel, that was great. Thank you so much. Um, mm-hmm. We loved it for sure. <laughs> and uh, this will conclude our interview with you. Uh, so go like, rate, and subscribe to help us make the show better. And you can also find us on Instagram at allnighterpod and email us at allnighterpod at gmail.com with any questions or comments because we would appreciate it. So everybody, thank you for listening, and we will see you later. Mm-hmm.